From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 466. Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace and Uni Pizza Ovens. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Jason Snell. Hello, Jason Snell. Hello, Mike Hurley. I hope you're enjoying the... Summer of fun! Summer of fun! I have a Snell Talk question for okay. you. All right. This one comes from Brayden, who asks, okay. Jason, what is your preferred summer drink? While you're at the Dongle Town Surf Club. Ah, uh, oh yeah, uh, out there on Thunderbolt Dock. Mm-hmm. Um, preferred summer drink. I, I'd be interested uh, in hearing what your summer drink is. So get ready for okay. that. Uh, preferred summer drink. I mean, there's there's many different choices here. I do. Um, I make iced tea in the summer, and I enjoy that. Uh, for an alcoholic beverage, I I am not a mixed drink person, so I would say for an alco- alcoholic beverage. These days I drink a lot of hazy IPAs, which are very sort of like summery and citrusy. So I like those. And then my classic, I would say that for the last few years, my classic summer drink is my own. uh, I feel like I've said this before on this podcast, but I'll say it again. My friend Simon Jerry, when I was in England, uh, told me about the lager top, which Ah. is literally just a lager with uh, lemonade on top. Yeah. Right. Which which in England, lemonade is 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 lemon lime soda. In America, lemonade is is. lemon water with sugar in it i actually have a funny story for you for one of the first times i went to america and well the first time i went to america under legal drinking age i think it was and this is when i went to i went to the first portland xoxo festival that i went to Uh and i was in a bar with some friends and i asked for a vodka lemonade and the bar person was incredibly confused which Uh. set me to be incredibly confused because I felt like I went with like the most basic drink that somebody could ask for. Like I purposefully did that because I was yeah. uncomfortable of what to order. So vodka and Seven Up is what you should have ordered, or Sprite, right? Like I or could Sprite, have asked for. Sure. But what they ended up giving me was like I don't even know what it was, but it was like vodka and something and simple syrup. It was very confusing. Yeah, and, and some, yeah, lemon juice and simple syrup. Yes, um, I think that was what they did, and it was it is because they're absolutely trying to make terrible a, an American lemonade. Yeah. And I love American lemonade, but it's not. What so do Brits I. mean by lemonade? But it's not what I want in a vodka lemonade. Let me tell you, Mike. If you take a a, a nice beer on a hot summer day and oh, you put yeah. some lemonade in it, it's really good. Very refreshing. It's really good. So that is one of my preferred summer drinks at the Doggletown Surf Club. A lager, lager top, American style. Lager top. Uh, mm-hmm. I um, this summer have just enjoyed cold beers. I am not. Yeah, I don't drink alcohol very much. Um, for no specific reason, I just don't. Um, yep. I maybe have like a beer or two a week, pretty much. But th- we've there. There are these two beers that I've found that I found to be very refreshing this summer. Kind of found them in my local supermarket. They're two brands. One is called Jubal, and they basically make like beers with fruit in them. Like they brew them with fruit, yep. which is very refreshing. Right. Uh, and another one called Shandy Shack. Which is essentially ah, what yeah. we're talking about here. Shandy, yeah. Shandy's Shandy is the yeah. American word for for the beer lemonade combo. Is a oh shandy, no, we so have that's... we have shandies too. It's like shandy mm. is like one thing and lager tops like another thing. Interesting. Well, it's because of your lemonade. Anyway, I'm essentially yeah. making a shandy too. It's a good mm-hmm. good uh, summer beer for sure. Yeah. And they make uh, this, this company just makes like a bunch of shandies, including an IPA shandy, which I'd never had before, and uh, I really like them. Lawrence preferred is from a local brewery. Uh, 
called uh, Pitchers, and it's a uh, it's basically a grapefruit shandy, and it's really mm, good. Oh man, that sounds fantastic. It's really good. So yeah, put. I know all the beer purists are like gasp, and it's like you know what, beer is good in lots of ways, including uh, with other flavors in it. It's just a uh, in the summer. It's summer of fun. We just have fun. Okay. Yeah, I like an IPA. I like a lager as much as the next guy. Well, maybe not as much as the next guy, but I also like like fruity and weird beers too. So, uh, not a Pim's cup, then, is what you're saying. That's Adina's summer drink. Oh, really? She loves Pim's. Right. Well, I mean, that's the very that's the Wimbledon. Wimbledon starting yep. today. Oh, well, then it's Pim's time. It's Pim's o'clock, as they used to say. That was the old ad campaign. Pim's o'clock. Yeah, it's it's Pim's o'clock now. And uh, I this episode uh, brought to you by Pim's. It's Pim's uh, o'clock. I mean, it could be. My friend, uh, a friend of the show, he's been on Scott McNulty. He's a mm-hmm. he's a Pim's Cup guy, uh, which has always surprised me as a Philadelphian. But he's he's very English in that way, I guess, uh, rebelling against his Irish background. And I would say I had uh, our English friends had us over for a, a a a summer party once, and there were Pim's cups, and I had one. And my review of it is, eh, you can have it. <laughs> it's I hate oh, it. I like it. Do you want to know like uh, another funny uh, thing? Like kind of uh, wrapping this whole conversation around. Yeah. We don't call it Pim's Cup. We call it Pim's and Lemonade. That's like, Pim's and Lemonade. That's what it's called. Pim's Cup is not what it's called here. It's just interesting. Called Pim's and Lemonade, but it's the same thing. All the fruit and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's how it goes. If you would like to send us in a snow talk question, of course, this is the summer, so summary questions are not. Advised but recommended, also. Oh, ooh. then you can send those in by going to upgradefeedback.com. And thank you for Braden for that great question. We have some just a whole cavalcade of weird follow up, I think, today, <laughs> spanning yep. the gamut of the last couple of weeks of shows. I think a lot of it actually is from last week. Uh-huh. Well, weird show generates weird follow up. Indeed. We had many <laughs> people, I think mostly Canadians, yes. send us in. A video called the House Hippo commercial. Yes. The North American House Hippo. Uh, obviously in relation to Jason's uh, desire for tiny hippos. A tiny hippo. Can I, I'll tell you, I don't know if I told you this uh, privately, but I'll tell you it now. We posted the, the clip that, as we always do. Uh-huh. You can find our video clips on our various social media channels. I'll tell you about those at the end of the show. I had two people from my life, like just uh, my sister-in-law and one of my close friends who do not listen to my podcasts contact me to tell me what small animals they wanted. Oh, wow. See? Breaking out. It's pretty good. We're breaking out. It's pretty good. I had a guy uh, I play curling with uh, say, hey, I was in an airport scrolling through TikTok and I saw you. Good. So It's working. I love it. That's love the way to hear to about it. it. So this, this uh, Canadian house hippo ad, it's adorable. It's just a whole like ad that reads like it's a nature documentary about yeah. the Canadian, small Canadian house hippo. And at the end, and this is very late 90s, it's very 90s public service announcement. It says, of course this isn't real, but children believe things they see on TV and they shouldn't. Don't believe things you see on TV. Ask questions and be critical, kids. That's what that ad is for. Yep, it was commissioned by the Concerned Children's Advertisers, which is now called the Companies Committed to Kids. And from the actual House Hippo Wikipedia page. Oh, God. It says the stated intent of this piece is to educate children about critical thinking with regard to what they see in television advertising. And Mm. I mean, I was struck by, you know, this is in 1999, this commercial. That they're really, it's the same problems we're dealing with now, right? Oh, yeah. About like fake news. And now we're moving into the AI 
like deep fake generation. It's just kind of a funny thing. And Kiwis, thank you for yes. getting in touch with us. Yes, mostly me because you didn't want to hear from them, and, but we did yes. hear from them. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, I, I'm, I'm back with a report. The, the short answer. So I think my theory was correct, which is Australians say beta, uh, New Zealanders say beta. How and we got many videos saying that the Kiwis say beta. Um, a few people said they say say beta, but almost everybody said they say beta. So I believe them. But here's the thing about beta and beta is New Zealanders change. This is what I thought would be the case. New Zealanders change vowels. So I think New Zealanders are actually trying to say beta, but because they flip their vowels compared to other English speakers, they say beta. But I think they they mean beta, but they say beta. So a win for uh, the beta pronunciation there. And then I want to thank specifically the listener, listener Sam, I believe, yeah, who sent in an audio clip uh, that inc- that contrasts uh, the word beta with an igbita, which is an egg beater, but yeah. in New Zealand, <laughs> igbita. they're different uh, yes i i really love uh the way that you said that which is very funny to me what i would just like to to addendum that what i hear and what i think is one of the key differences is they say beta beta sure they pronounce the the t more and i think americans tend to swallow the t's yes yes or or really uh the way i hear it is americans say t's like d's Mm. right where i would say water but now I've conditioned myself water. to say water instead when I want because yeah. I found myself, water. Jason, many water. times uh, again earlier on in my travels where I would say, "Could I have a glass of water?" And they were like, "What?" And people couldn't understand me in a way that what? I just what? don't understand. Uh, so now I've I've conditioned myself, especially when Americans say water. I will tell you when people say that Americans take their T's and turn them into D's. I get to do the John Syracuse thing where I can say. No, we don't. But what I mean by that is I can understand why it is not, you can't differentiate it, but I can differentiate it. There mm-hmm. is a slight difference there, but it's very close. It's true. It's it, it, water. How would you say it? Water. Yeah, you see, that's a D to me. I, I, I understand what you're saying. I can't hear it any other way. There is a, there, my tongue, my tongue is actually up in my teeth and making mm-hmm. a T sound there, but it's very subtle because yeah. otherwise it's water. Oh, water. Hey, look, yes. I'm, so, I'm swallowing consonants all over the place. Right? I know. So like I'm you doing are. it too, but I'm just saying it's a different sound. Igbita. Igbita. Anyway. Ig, ig, ig. You got to say ig. It's an uh, ig. New Zealanders, thank you. And I'm yes, sorry. We love you. Vision no, we're not Pro. sorry. No, I'm, so, I, 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 no, love, I'm sorry love, for what you've okay. been doing in the last minute. No, no. <laughs> I, I think I, I spent two weeks in New Zealand. I think uh-huh. I've, I've sussed it out. I think oh, I got it. You've, you've sorted it now? You got the accent? Igbita. Having spent two yeah. weeks there? You're mm-hmm. like that person that goes on holiday and comes back with a new accent. Yeah, exactly. I start to call everything a car park. <laughs> everything. Like even buildings. It's probably a car park. There's a car park in there. We spoke about the Vision Pro and the fact that there was a potential for it to not be shipping with health features or they may have been uh, postponed. This is from an information report. We had two upgradians write in with some thoughts on this that I wanted to share. Ben wrote in to say, I think that it could be possible that uh, health-related features could be held for a, quote, Apple Vision Sport model maybe made of different materials like those used in Apple Watch straps. Based on how Mike described the weight as similar to the AirPods Max, I would imagine it might be uncomfortable to seriously exercise in as is. 
I don't know completely mm. if I agree with the summary of my thoughts here. So the Apple Vision Pro is on the heavy side. I could imagine lots of forms of exercise that I could do wearing the Apple Vision Pro. Like anything uh, on a stationary machine, so I get stationary bikes for sure. Yoga, I could imagine being possible. Um, I would say even with the right head strap, I could use the, my rowing machine. Like uh, Basically, what I'm saying is it is on the heavy side, but you could work out in these. The same as I feel like I could work out in AirPods Max as well. Like I, I think it's possible. I, I, all, all headsets are weird to work out in, I think. Mm. I, th- I think this could be done. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to be uh, both of these comments, so I'm going to save it for the next one. But okay. I, I, I think this is one of those things that it's very easy to say no in order to try to justify Apple's reported design decision here. But I don't think that I don't I don't think it's necessary to do that. I think that it can be done. Yeah, I think that you can exercise on in other headsets. So I, I don't think it's an issue. I just don't. Steve says. It seems like a pragmatic choice given the weight of the headset, the lack of controllers in the external battery pack to not have these features. Until it's released, it's hard to say if there are other issues limiting its use as a fitness device. Meta has worked hard to support users who are more active, but Apple's first headset may be better suited for sedentary use. Once Apple can field a lighter, cheaper, self-contained device, I'm sure it will support some fitness activities. Again. Yeah. You couldn't, like, you're not going to be doing high-intensity training in this, right? But I don't really feel like it's good for that for any. But I feel like any of these fitness apps that I've tried, you could could use the Apple Vision Pro just as easily, I feel like. Yeah, again, I feel like this is a tendency that a lot of people have to sort of try to justify the report about what Apple's decided by saying, well, yeah, I can list a bunch of reasons why Apple... Uh, just you know, can't do this, and they'll have to wait till the next time. And I, I'm very skeptical about it. And I, what I said last week stands, which is, if Apple doesn't <laughs> want to do anything fitness related in here, guess what? Third party developers will, and they yep. will succeed. And it might not be the same as the Meta headset, and it might not be everything you want, and it might not be as good as if Apple was more committed to it. But they'll do it. And the 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 external battery pack is not going to be the reason why it doesn't work. No, and that that one one cable is very easy to deal with. Um, yeah, you know the lack of controllers are not going to be the reason it doesn't work. It might people be... have worked out for a long time with cabled headphones. It's the same deal, right? Like we all found a way mm-hmm. to work out with our iPods. We all found a way to work out with uh, our Apple headphones plugged into our phone. Like it is a very... uh, here's the thing. I understand if you listen to the way we've been talking to assume that like the weight of the thing would preclude it. I don't think it would. I think maybe no. there will be things that each person might not want to do, but I could imagine multiple types of exercise that I do now that I could quite easily do wearing the Vision Pro. Sure. Amari wrote in to say, we're moving on now from that, to say, I 100% mm-hmm. agree with Mike on not having push notifications for news. However, I do want some news alerts. So a while ago, I switched them all to the scheduled summary feature and has been an unmitigated success for me. I get a summary of all of the like rubbishy news that I get a couple of times a day and none of it goes to the watch. It takes 10 seconds and then I'm done and it's never distracting me. So I thought this was a really smart, thing to do mm-hmm. and a use case of a thing that I've never understood 
had like why it existed, <laughs> which was right. the scheduled, scheduled summary, summary. in yep. notifications. If you have forgotten about this, you go to settings, notifications, scheduled summary. You choose the apps that you want to be in the summary and the times of day you want it to pop up. And I think this is a great way to get a news digest of notification-focused stuff. So I just wanted to highlight that because I think Amari had a wonderful suggestion. See, it's funny because you, when you mentioned this last week, I, I, I remained silent, but I actually find the news notifications valuable one time of day, which is when I wake up in the morning. I kind of mm -hmm. want to see if anything big happened, but I don't want them the rest of the day. So this is actually, I, I didn't even think about this feature. This is the right way for me to do it is to schedule a summary yep. for the morning and then never have to deal with them the rest of the day. Yep. The reason no one thought about this feature except more is because it isn't really good for anything else. Like, and it's it's not super well implemented. At least right. in iOS 16, I don't know if it's even if it's been changed at all in 17, but probably not. This was part of Apple's goal to try and give you more control. Like the feature from this release that that really was great is you can swipe on any notification and choose options and basically say, "Don't ever show this to me again." Yes, and I love that feature. Yeah. But this was also a feature from that era of like we want to give you more control over notifications, which is to say, roll up all these notifications into a summary that you'll deliver at this time. And for news headlines, I just had never thought of that. It's actually great to be like, I don't want to be bugged with news headlines, except maybe once or twice. A day great idea i'm gonna put a link in the show notes to federico's ios 15 review uh, yeah. that explains notification summaries if mm -hmm. you want a bit more information about it but yes yeah, it's the first time i've ever heard of anybody using it for something i would like to <laughs> also i ranted a couple weeks ago on uh on I think Upgrade Plus, but I, I ran it about discoverability and in my yeah. Macworld column and got a lot of feedback from people who, again, as expected, the features that we discussed in that segment and that I discussed in that article, they didn't know existed, like the shuffling between faces in the lock screen, not not to mention the, you know, uh, swiping, holding an app that's shaking with one hand while you swipe to quickly move it to another place and then drop it. People hadn't heard of that. I'll just point out that listener Mike in the member discord right now just said, T IL <laughs> did yeah. not know this was a thing to what we just talked about. So again, discoverability of new iOS features, you know, it's a problem. It's I'm a challenge, throw, but I might that's as a well, good one. while we're doing this, I'm going to throw two features that I think people might not know about. Uh, you can delete apps from searches. So if you search for an app and long press on it, you get the options to delete it. So if you want to get rid of an app, that's yeah. a quick way to do it. And if you have folders on your home screen and you have the notification badge in the folders, if you long press on the folder, it will pop up and show you what apps the notifications are for. Oh, good tips. Good good tips. tips. We're a productivity podcast now. We sure are, just for those for that 20 seconds. Yep. Apple News Crosswords. We spoke about this last time in uh, the details. And mm -hmm. we were wondering where they were coming from. And we were sent an email that, told us where they're coming from. And it was pointing to <laughs> an Apple newsroom piece that came out during WWDC, which I remember seeing, but I did not read because it has like a thousand <laughs> things in it. But in that newsroom piece, it said, we'll include a daily crossword, a mini crossword in partnership with the Puzzle Society. Now, dun, dun, dun. the Puzzle Society on their website described themselves as the Puzzle Society has become a major yet shadowy player in the world's puzzling spheres, simultaneously in plain sight and invisible, like a word that is backwards and diagonal in a word search. Mm. I did a little bit more digging. 
for me to get the full like information about the company, they wanted me to sign up for their email newsletter, which I wasn't going to do. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> but then I found a company called Andrews McNeil Universal. They are the pair. Actually, Andrews McMeal Universal. McMeal, uh, sure. McMeal. Sounds fake. They are a, quote, inclusive partner and home to a first-class roster of distinctive and powerful cartoonists, artists, writers, illustrators, game makers, and storytellers. They are like a conglomerate company, and mm. one of the companies they own is the Puzzle Society. I so see. Apple has done a deal with them. But then we also got some feedback from listener Adam who says... I am a crossword constructor, which is a fantastic job title, mm-hmm. with puzzles published in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and others. So Apple News Plus crosswords are definitely on my radar. Adam says they're in partnership with Puzzle Society, which is an existing online crossword service. But Apple is also hiring in-house crossword editors, including prolific puzzle maker Ross Trudeau and seemingly... Eric Agard, who just resigned as the USA Today crossword editor and is wildly ha- widely hailed for championing diversity in crosswords. So yeah, Apple is pulling out the big guns. They are like they're, wow. they're getting in the crosswords, like like all of the the community, the crossword community is up in arms. Here. Apple is leaning into the fact that they've always been a little bit puzzling and secretive, and now um, they are uh, actively puzzling. See, no other podcast is giving you this kind of analysis about Pro- Well, I mean, there's probably a puzzle-related podcast that's all over this, but uh, uh, among your Apple podcasts, yes, I feel like- Yes, that's what I meant. Which, I think it's a bold move that a, a mere minutes after admitting that there was a whole Apple press release that we saw and did not read, we are now claiming the mantle of being mm-hmm. your go-to experts regarding Apple and puzzles. We won immediately. Us. Let's pat ourselves on the back. But now, we, now we are. Now we are. Look, WWDC is a very busy time for us. It's a very busy time. But just we can't read all the press releases. Uh, what okay? I'm going to say is if anybody does think, like, oh, you should have read just go look at this press release. It's like a million words long with <laughs> loads of screenshots, and it came out on June the 7th. I was busy that day. You know what yeah. I'm saying? I ain't got time to read. But also it's called day. Apple Previews New Features Coming to Apple Services This Fall. Yeah, it is a bit of a snooze. It's yeah, I was I, I scrolled through it, but I didn't even see the the, the, <laughs> the crossword society. It's it's in there. And I'm happy that it's in there. But it's like it's underneath Fitness Plus. I just figured it was Fitness yeah. Plus. I'm just saying Puzzle Society owned by a shadowy conglomerate. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Riddler is behind this. You know, it would fit the Riddler's M.O., right? Right, right. And so um, I just hope that that uh, Batman cuts a deal with Apple. That's Can all. I ask, new Riddler or old Riddler? Because, like, new Riddler is terrifying. Old Riddler is kind of fun. Well, it's the newest Riddler. He, he, the new Riddler's identity has not been revealed because uh, they're hiding behind the Puzzle Society right now. Okay, right? so it's a new, new Riddler. I think so. We, we don't know. Probably, but we yeah. don't know. But anyway. How could we know? We're not Batman. <laughs> you know? It does make me kind of sad that in this scenario, I am Robin. Right? Sure. You are obviously Batman and I'm Robin. And there's kind of nothing I can do about that. Cheer up, chum. That makes me sad. Our 2023 member special is now available to all Relay <sighs> FM members. This includes Yay. those of you who subscribe to Upgrade Plus. 
You will find this in the crossover feed that we have available to all Relay FM members. If you sign in uh, to your account, your memberful account, you'll see the feeds there. It's very easy to subscribe. I will put a link in the show notes that you can just click on and you sign in and it will take you to your uh, member exclusive podcasts. This is the third installment of our RPG crossover where uh, the two of us are joined by CGP Grey and our game master, Tony Sindelar of the Total Party Kill podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, this is my favorite of the three of these that we've done. I think Tony did a really, really amazing job creating a very fun game mechanic that mm-hmm. I'm very excited it includes our first ever combat. That is the only spoiler that I will give for this uh, special. Yeah, I would say I love uh, this one's really good. Um, and in fact, I, I've started to think about these three Tales from the Floating Vagabond adventures that we've done the last three years as like three, I don't know, like three, three movie series or three episodes of a TV show where each one of them is like the one where this happens. Like the first one, we go to the bureaucracy planet and the second one, we go to the uh, the food company where there's been a there's a mascot and there's been yep. a disaster and then in in this one um we get it we get a new job that i take seriously and you two don't <laughs> no because it doesn't really feel like it's necessary to take seriously but it fits right within your wheelhouse i completely embraced it yep. yeah mm-hmm. tony tony was targeting you i think i think so yeah i suspect so this episode is brought to you by our friends over at Uni Pizza Ovens, the world's number one pizza oven company. They make surprisingly small ovens powered by your choice of either wood, charcoal, or gas to let you make restaurant-quality pizza in your own backyard. Uni Pizza Ovens are incredibly easy to use and super portable. They'll fit into any outside space. Their ovens can reach temperatures of up to 900 degrees Fahrenheit or 500 degrees Celsius, which enables you to cook restaurant-quality pizza in as little as 60 seconds. You need the high temperature. That is what separates these pizzas from those that you make in a yep. home oven. It mm-hmm. gives you a different experience, and they cook faster, taste better. One of the most popular models that Uni have is the Coda 16, which is a gas-powered oven that can cook up to 16-inch pizzas. It has an innovative L-shaped burner at the back to give you even heat distribution. This is the one that Jason has, which I'll ask him yes. about in a moment. Uni pizza ovens start at just $299. They do free shipping in the US, the UK, and the EU. Uh, they have so many models now. They have the Unicaru, which is, uh, can be fueled by either wood, charcoal, or gas. They have the Univolt, which is their new electric uh, pizza oven, which can also get as hot and can be used indoors or outdoors, which I think is a really awesome addition for them. Uh, they have tons there that you can check out yourself. Uh, but Jason, it is a kind of a holiday season over in the US. I feel like an mm-hmm. uni is probably pretty great for that. Already made. So I made pizza in the uni last week, um, Thursday, Thursday, Wednesday. I don't know, just a few days ago. Got it out, uh, set it up again, you know, easy to find a place for it. It's got little eggs. Um, if you're worried about uh, that heat, it's got these legs. And I, I measured the temperature underneath the ah. 700 degree oven. And it was like uh, 80 degrees Fahrenheit under there. It was nothing. So don't be afraid of uh like you can put this on basically anything and it will be fine um i put it on wood i put it on plastic it's I put it on concrete it's all it's all good because all the heat is in the oven and uh yeah you get the little um it it melts the cheese on top and you get the little kind of like uh, bernie bits on the crust 
and the bottom of it is like a pizza stone. So you preheat it. That's my that's my tip for you is especially if you're like me and you struggle a little bit to get the dough thin enough. Um, be, be sure to properly preheat it so that the pizza stone is really hot because then when you slide the pizza in, the flames on the top are, are melting everything and, and crisping everything up. But that pizza stone is radiating out the heat on the bottom, which is what bakes the crust and makes it crispy. So that's my tip to you. But uh, it is... Uh, and I can make more than one pizza on it, which I love because it it cooks so fast. I can I can uh, have a little assembly line and have multiple pizzas. Whereas at home or inside on the uh, in the oven, I have to do like uh, you know it it sits in there for ten or fifteen minutes, and then I pull it out, and then I have to put another one in, and then the first one gets cold. So that's no good. So anyway, good yeah, I love it. Listeners of this show can get 10% off their purchase of an Uni Pizza oven. Just go to uni.com, O-O-N-I.com, and use the code UPGRADE2023 at checkout. They also have a range of great accessories from peels to cutters to oven tables to thermometers if you want to make sure you've got the uh, the good preheating going on. So, laser thermometers, my indeed, Laser thermometers. The future. Uni.com, O-O-N-I.com. Use the code UPGRADE2023 for 10% off to bring restaurant-quality pizza to your own backyard. Our thanks to Uni Pizza Ovens for their support of this show and Relay FM. It's rumor roundup time. Giddy up. Giddy up, partner. We've got... We're back. We're back on the rumor roundup train. It's been quiet on the <laughs> yep. Western Front over mm. the last couple of weeks, but not mm-hmm. anymore because the sheriff's yep. back in town. Sheriff mm-hmm. Mark Gurman, he's been... He's been in the corral this week. He's been rounding up all those yep. rumors. He's got multiple mm-hmm. jobs, the sheriff. He's also he's also in the corral. Well, the rumors, I guess, are like criminals, and so he's bringing them in. Yep. He's I rounding them all up. He's rounding mm-hmm. the criminals up, and he's putting them in newsletter jail. And he's <laughs> and he's now sending that out. Uh, AirPods. So yes. Apple's working on a bunch of things for AirPods, including developing a feature to test hearing by playing a series of tones and sounds, a quote from Mark Gurman's Power On newsletter, is the idea is to help users screen for hearing issues, not unlike how the Apple Watch ECG app checks for heart problems. Apple is exploring how they could better position the AirPods product line as a replacement for conventional hearing aids as well. So they currently have a selection of features that they've been introducing over the last few years for people who uh, would like hearing assistance. Things like conversation boost and live listen are two features they've done here. But Apple does not have health regulatory approvals to claim that they are actually hearing aids with these features. Right. And and. In the U.S., that just changed where you can sell things that make hearing aid claims over the counter. So mm-hmm. this is, and this is one of the ideas here that Apple seems to be staffing up and um, leaning into that now that they have a little more latitude to um, consider AirPods basically yep. as hearing aids, at least in some modes. Yeah. Quote from Mark: There also engine, there's also engineering work being done on adding sensors to AirPods so they can determine body temperature via the wearer's ear canal. The type of this type of data is considered more accurate than wrist temperature, which is collected on the Apple Watch Series Eight and Ultra models while users sleep. Yeah, just more accurate for when you're wearing them. I mean, you're probably mm-hmm. not going to wear them while you're sleeping and all that, but if you're wearing them, they can uh, they could track your temperature and it's going to be much more accurate, right? Because that's actually a way that they they take people's temperature is in their ears it's a pretty accurate reading so that that it just makes sense because you've got a product that's already in there and that would be super good because that feels Mm -hmm. like would be a feature where it could tell you if it's found something wrong or you could proactively check right and like you just have it now like you don't need Mm -hmm. an ear thermometer you don't need a thermometer because you've just got airpods so you can just 
use those. And I think that would be an excellent feature. Um, I think so. That I'd be super excited about. Uh, as always with these things, these features could take time to materialize in shipping products. You know, it could be like, they don't. He doesn't know when it's coming because it's complicated, especially when if they're going to go for regulatory approval on either of these things. Okay. Um, yeah. But in the meantime, Apple is preparing to switch the AirPods product line over to USB C, starting with the like along with the iPhone this year, yeah. beginning with the AirPods Pro. The way he phrases this is really weird to me because all it means is that you do a new case. Yes. Right. Yeah. That's it. That's what's happening. Yeah. That's how I understood it, and it's what I expect. And there is precedent for this, right? So when yeah they did, was it wireless charging? When like they revised the AirPods of wireless charging, you could just buy the case. It was wireless charging support, right? And it was literally just the ch- just yep. the case changed. Yeah, which I will be super excited about because, like, you know, we're still in the throes of house decoration. Like one of the things I want to do is like work out a good couch cable oh, setup yeah. which yeah. by the way mm-hmm. if anybody has product recommendations for like good ways to get like USB C cables in and around your couch right without yeah. just cables all over the place i want to know those send them in upgradefeedback.com i am upgradefeedback.com i am surprised that there aren't more products that are designed to like clip on or go over like the edge yep. of a exactly of a couch mm-hmm. so that you've got them like nearby because yeah I ended up having I have a USB adapter uh, that is basically under the couch and yep. then the USB C snakes upward <laughs> and is behind a cushion so that you can get it but it's dumb like it's just cables that's everywhere. not that, that's not I, I I want like a little. You know, I'm not buying furniture with USB installed, right? Like, I'm not going to do that. But I would like the USB to be uh, somewhere really accessible without getting in my way. And I know that's that's tricky, but, like, I am surprised that everything I find is a big block that you plug in the wall and then run cables. And wireless charging is not the solution here because I'm not just charging products. That, well, like, for example, Nintendo Switch, right? Like, that's not talking about. The beauty of having USB-C and, and uh, you, what your point that you're making here about AirPods is if you end up with a USB-C cable or two at your couch, you could charge anything there, right? You charge your iPad, charge your laptop, charge your AirPods, charge your phone, anything. So last night, me and Nadina were talking about this, and I was like, I am going to find a solution to this, because right now we just have like cables just like under the sofa, and it's just ugly, and it's, yeah. it's not really great to get to grab them and stuff, and they're like trailing yeah. all over the place. And I was saying, oh, you know, when the iPhone goes to USB-C, then we won't even need the lightning cable anymore, which will make it easier. And she said, oh, but what about AirPods? And I was like, aha, <laughs> here yeah. we go. We'll get, we're going to get AirPods Pro, the new cases, and we'll be, we'll be nice and happy. Yeah. Um, so, but if anybody has recommendations for how to do like good couch cable management, please send those in to us. Upgradefeedback.com. Right. right. I would love to know if there's a a thing that you can like hang over the back of the couch that is also an adapter. Like I've got a I've got a desk power strip that literally under desk power strip that I got with my desk, and it's a power strip that's got like little clamps on it, mm-hmm. so you can clamp it under your desk. And I thought, you know, I am surprised given all of the iPhone accessories out there that somebody hasn't come over like a super clever clever solution for this that is not well hide this brick on the floor and then get a long cable and stuff it behind the cushion uh, mm, really mm-hmm. rather not Mark is also reporting that Apple have quote explored the idea of a finger worn device that would work as a controller for the Apple Vision Pro yeah. but rejected it 
And Mark has heard that they are still not planning any hand controllers of their own, nor are they planning to support third-party controllers specifically for VR-focused experiences. They are all in on hand tracking. And the question is just how good is their hand tracking, right? Yeah. I mean, it is, doesn't necessarily mean... What he's not saying is that they, they built like something you could stick on your finger and it like aided in the precision. And then they decided it was no good. I'm not sure that's the case here. It may be that they decided it was no good. It may be they decided that they didn't really want to go down that route. It's also possible that they looked at the hand tracking software they already had and said, this is good enough. Uh, and whether that's good enough for games or anything else i guess we'll find out i guess we'll find out but it's interesting that this report suggests that apple was exploring this idea and then was like nah we don't want it or need it to pop something on your finger i don't know the jury is out i i i am remaining hopeful i'm making sure to, to stay hopeful about just there being new and interesting gaming experiences you know i've found yes. the current crop of vr gaming to be very focused around a very specific type of game, which realistically mm -hmm. is just shooting games, where yeah. you do do not really move, or like you move in weird ways because of like you don't want right. to get sick. And so, what I'm hoping is that if Apple is saying like no controllers, that it may encourage people to think a little bit more weirdly and out of the box and create some interesting experiences like i could imagine a lot of like puzzle games that could come out of just hand tracking you know like moving mm -hmm. things around we'll see um or maybe you know like with really good eye tracking what kind of gaming experiences does that create so i'm gonna i'm going to to hold faith in not apple but developers that they will be able to when pressed under certain constraints, come up with some new type of experiences. As yeah. Joe in the chat has said, puzzle games from the Puzzle Society. The puzzle Society, they're there. Ha-ha, try to stop me now, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> and finally from Mark Gurman, Apple is working on, quote, multiple next-generation monitors. The interesting one here is one of these could include an integrated processor and software stack that could make a display double as a monitor for a Mac and, a and as a standalone display, um, like a TV kind of thing, and mm -hmm. a smart home display with a low power mode. I don't know about this. His story is basically like a larger external display that you could, I could sort of see it because it's the, it actually is the answer to the question, why do we have a studio display that has iOS inside it, but it, it's not visible in any way? And couldn't you use it to run TV OS? Couldn't you use it to be a TV on its own? It's got speakers, it's a screen, it's got a software on it. Why is it only working when it's attached to another device? And this is sort of the answer to that is what if they made one that was a little bit bigger that you could use as your standalone display, but it could also be uh, take other inputs and also have a you know smart home low power mode. Yeah, but where's this display going in someone's house that it can actually serve as all of these things at once? It made me start to think about like IMAX, where they say that sometimes you put a you're in a limited screen environment. Um, I don't think this is for like a living room TV, but like, could it be for other environments where there's really limited space and you can you can have it pull double duty? I I, I don't know. It is an interesting idea of like where this actually fits, and is it a is it a product that actually has a mainstream use case? But they keep telling me that they sell a lot of IMAX that are just meant to be. You know that people just plot them down in the middle of their of their home, and everybody uses them. And I yeah. guess that could be for something like this. I don't know. It's weird, but I feel like they 
these like use cases and the product doesn't match up, right? Because mm. this is obviously going to be more expensive than the current studio display because it sounds like it's going to be quite advanced. So let's let's imagine this is a $2000 display, right? Let's just I'm just throwing that money out there. I just feel like a an expensive display doesn't necessarily match with this idea of like I have just one room, right? Right. Like th- those things, this sounds to me like it's an expensive display. So it's probably going to be bought by somebody who has at least a room where they keep their work computer, like they have an office, right? Where they have the computer. And then if it's in the office, it's not so helpful to be a smart dis- smart home display because it's in the office. Yeah. Some people do live in very small spaces and uh, and they could use this. And I'm sure there are people out there who watch movies and tv shows on the same screen that they use you know to do their computer stuff but i would imagine most people don't they use a a a device to do that they use an ipad or an iphone or whatever or a laptop uh, laptop. and so yeah i wonder about that i am going to dispute you on this is going to be powerful and therefore expensive i think that the studio display could do this right now I think it could. I think yeah. I think they made a, a decision to have it run iOS invisibly in the background in order to run the uh, uh, run the camera and run um, uh, center stage. Uh-huh. But like, I don't know. It's it's a an A series processor running an OS. I, I think it's not a real leap to say that if it was a slightly more modern A series processor and they built it to run TV OS standalone from scratch which they didn't do with the studio display i'm not sure that that's a particularly more expensive product now maybe the display is better and that makes it more expensive but i don't think this is a lot of extra power i think this is just designing it with that stuff visible versus invisible like on the studio display i mean i i still think a one thousand six hundred dollar display meets the same argument that i was making earlier my point is, is there a market where you're sitting right in front of the screen doing computing work and it's also your TV, right? And if there, if there are markets for yeah. that, then great. But is that, is that a market or is this an incredibly large display uh, for a computer monitor that Apple thinks is sort of like it will work as a small TV or it'll work as a computer monitor? You decide. But you're right. There are lots of scenarios where you might be better off just buying a TV, right? Because TVs are cheaper than that. I don't. I don't know. It's an interesting idea. Um, and they, they have the market research, but it does seem like a one-size-fits-all TV that is also a computer monitor. I mean, uh, I feel like, like a hard I know to me, but, of a better you know. display, which already includes an integrated processor and software that could double as a standalone display and small home display of a low-power mode. It's called the iPad. Like... If, yeah. that, if this feels like it's yeah. better for an iPad, if they're going to put it in a product that's not like HomePod with screen. Look, this is such a nebulous rumor. We're really just like talking around a thing like we have no idea, but it's interesting to talk about. It could legitimately just be a Mac display that they've decided, why are we hiding the fact that we're running our operating system on it? Let people use it for a PlayStation. Let people use it with as an apple tv if they want when the mac is not connected and maybe they maybe they look at the use cases and think you know we got people connecting via laptops they disconnect their laptop the screen's just sitting there doing nothing somebody else in the home can use it for something else yeah maybe this is a minor feature where it's sort of like well if we're going to make a smart display for that works with macs why not why not also make it 
be visibly smart. It's an extra feature. Like, cause like I'm saying the studio display as it currently exists basically is this, except they decided to hide it all. So maybe they just decided let's not hide it. Let's put a, let's put an HDMI port back there and make it an Apple TV and not hide it anymore. I don't know. So moving on, the Wall Street Journal is reporting that Goldman Sachs is trying to break out of their deal with Apple on the Apple card. Apparently, this is so weird to me, Goldman Sachs is in talks with American Express to try and convince them to take on the business. Quote, Apple would have to agree to a transfer. The tech company is aware of the talks, which have been ongoing for months. Hmm. It was reported in January that Goldman Sachs has apparently lost over a billion dollars on the Apple card. (laughs) But in October, Goldman Sachs and Apple extended their relationship until 2029. Yep. So... My very cursory knowledge of this market suggests that Goldman Sachs probably doesn't want to be in the consumer credit card market anymore. The consumer they have they they really tried to expand into kind of like this consumer banking area and they've lost a lot of money. They were really aggressive in it. And I think that there's some thought that um talk about there's nothing more esoteric than what investors in banks think. Like it's like double financial it's investors in banks uh and that's one that's the point where i i generally pass out mm-hmm. um but you know they may, they may have tried to expand and they're like oh no let's go back to our core business and let's unload all this stuff i am fascinated about the fact that they're losing money on the apple card i guess that that is because they're you know they they took on sort of apple's aggressive terms and so they're not able to make the money on it than they wanted to. I, it is, it, it, it's head scratching to me, that report. So some of the stuff that I read today about, because I was doing a little bit of research into like trying to understand this loss that was reported. And it was very nebulous because it was like a loss reported in part of a bigger loss that they had. And some people were trying to pull it apart and work out that this is what it was. And there was some talk about the billion. And, you know, it was hard for me to try and work out exactly how it was confirmed. But... Uh, I read an article on 9to5Mac by Michael Potok, and they were talking about some of the potential ways in which Goldman may have lost money here. And it could have been the cashback. It could have been um, the fact that they weren't charging uh, lots of fees, which usually credit card companies would charge, which is something Apple didn't want. Um, And also, like, they were much more aggressive in and accepting people, people yeah. and the, and therefore there would be more bad debt there. They were really excited about about working with Apple because there's this, like Apple Halo. And, and I think that there's this question about like, well, maybe Apple's really only good at making money for Apple. Um, yeah. I do think this is very interesting in the context of, well, why isn't the Apple card somewhere else? It's like, uh... I mean, maybe, maybe nobody it's because nobody wants this business. Nobody wants to play by Apple's rules. And it makes, again, makes me wonder about Apple, like setting up its own financial company of mm-hmm. it, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know when Apple becomes like a bank or not. If As long as they've got partners, maybe they don't need to become a bank. But Apparently they're hiring for it. Like, this is something we spoke about a number of months ago that like they are hiring and looking more at becoming a financial service and taking on more of this stuff themselves. In some form or other, lots of regulation to deal with there. Um, I don't know. I mean, the Apple card is is a pretty good product. I think the, the question is, yeah, did Apple... Apple obviously was like, we want to set the terms. We want this to be very different. And they got somebody to say yes. And uh, that's great. But maybe in the end, that is a, it was a bad idea. 
So as well as the Apple Card, the relationship with Goldman Sachs is also powering Apple Card savings and Apple Pay later. So they're like mm. really intertwined now. The, the Amex thing is interesting to me. It's obviously a very different business, American Express. Um, they have the American Express card and like right. that's going to be complicated. Uh, well, I can't. I cannot envision Apple just declaring that the Apple card is an Amex card. Uh, if this deal is going on, I assume that the deal would maybe involve that as an option. But that I just can't. I I can't envision the Apple card going to Amex and being turned into an Am- American Express card. But similarly, I can't imagine Amex taking it and not making it an Amex. Like, why would they not do that? Like, they don't have to take this from Goldman Sachs. This <laughs> is like you know what I mean. Like, American Express are going to have their own needs and desires here so it that might be one of the reasons this doesn't work maybe amex say yeah but it's going to be an amex yeah. and apple say no and it's like well back to goldman <laughs> yeah i think uh the scenario i would say there again knowing nothing about this so i'm just spitballing would be amex taking on that business viewing it as an opportunity to get some of these apple card holders to be amex customers um amex card customers over mm-hmm. time uh, even if they're supporting the existing MasterCard customers. Because Amex is just not accepted in the same places that Visa and MasterCard are. No. there, there. Are, I've seen some instances of Amex cards that have like um, another card as a fallback. Yeah. And so like well, maybe Amex would do that, that like it mm-hmm. would be Amex by default, but you have this fallback maybe if it didn't work and maybe they would yep. work with Apple to find some kind of interesting way to make that work via Apple Pay. I don't know, but like it would be really strange to me if I get Amex were like, yeah, we'll take this, but we're going to use Mastercard and pay Mastercard to do this. Yeah, well, hmm. yeah, but this is so. But remember the context here, Mike. The context here is companies who want to do business with Apple and are willing to do things that they would not normally do because they want to be in business with Apple. I'm not saying that it's smart. I'm saying that no. that seems to happen. It, but it's <laughs> so. weird, though, right? If like. Goldman's like, we're losing so much money on this. Will you take this from us? Like, I can't even imagine what the pitch is to Amex. Like, do you want this? We're losing a billion dollars. And who lost a billion dollars since 2020? Did you like this? It's very strange to me. I would love to know more about, like, what is going on there. Very strange. And I'm now fascinated to see what the, the next few years are for the Apple Card because it seems like maybe it's not the business people want it to be. Goldman Sachs is learning one of those important lessons. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. It's a very Batman episode today. It is. I'm just sliding the Batman stuff in there. (laughs) And the Financial Times is reporting that Apple has had to reduce their production forecasts for the Apple Vision Pro due to manufacturing complexities. These issues are stemming from the micro OLED displays that are found inside the two displays found inside of each Vision Pro. The Times is claiming that Apple is unhappy with the output and quality from their manufacturing partners Mm. and have now subsequently cut estimates to 400,000 units produced in 2024. It was previously reported that Apple was forecasting a million units in the first year. However, I have heard some conjecture that maybe it was a misunderstood as a million displays, which would be half a million units. Mm. But nevertheless, there has been a change in Apple's forecasting uh, based on the quality. Uh, The Financial Times is also claiming that Apple has further pushed back their plans for a more affordable Apple Vision headset. They were exploring mini LED displays instead of micro OLED displays for a cheaper device. 
but they were unhappy with the results of the mini LED displays when used uh, that close to the eyes. It's cutting edge stuff. It's hard. They're going to sell every one that they can make, but they they're are. not going to be able to make very many. It seems that way. It's going to that it's going to be hard to get them. It is. I'm not looking forward to that. Uh, it's going to be hard to get them. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. You can stand out with a beautiful website, engage directly with your audience, and sell your products, services, or the content that you create. Squarespace has got you covered. They've got it all. No matter what type of website you want to build, you can go to Squarespace. I would recommend you go to squarespace.com upgrade. You can sign up for a free trial and build your website and see what it's all about. So you don't need to put any credit card in. You just go, you just sign up, free trial, and you check it out. You can dig into their beautiful templates. You can choose from, they have tons of categories. You, you browse to find the perfect starting place for your business or the website that you want to make. You can customize them with just a few clicks. You can change the colors, the fonts. You can change the entire layout. You can do this on the web. You can do it on their apps. It's really easy to do. This is the same as well for Squarespace's email campaigns. You can now encourage your visitors to sign up as email subscribers and start them on the journey to becoming loyal customers. Again, you start with an email template for the design of your emails. You can customize it. You can apply your logo, your colors, that kind of thing. Then they have built-in analytics to measure the impact of every send so you know if people are engaging with your content. Those analytics also grow out to your entire site as well. So you can use their insights platform to grow your business, to grow your website. If you ever wanted to know where your site visitors are coming from, where your sales are coming from, which channels are most effective for you, Squarespace gives you all of this information in a really visually pleasing way. You can use that data to improve your website, to build a marketing strategy based on your top keywords or most popular products and content and grow your whole website. Whenever I want to put something online, and I've been doing this for like 15 years now, I go to Squarespace first because it's so simple for me. All I want to do is go from the idea that I've had to having the website available. And it is the easiest way to do that, to create a professional website Absolutely fantastic. Go to squarespace.com slash upgrade and you can sign up for that free trial with no credit card required. Then when you're ready to launch, use the offer code upgrade to save 10% of your first purchase of a website or domain. That is squarespace.com slash upgrade. And then when you sign up, use the offer code upgrade to get 10% of your first purchase and show your support for the show. Our thanks to Squarespace for the support of this show and all of Relay FM. For the summer of fun, I wanted to bring mm-hmm. back upstream oh it's been a while i remember upstream it has been a while we can still do upstream here we you yes know, we we just haven't but we still can yeah but we, just, we can but to, it, i kind of am always looking for a reason and today when i open my rss reader uh i had like six stories five or six stories all related to apple tv plus and so i thought for the summer of fun let's do yeah. upstream let's one do of it. these was a link from you we're yes. going to talk about Pac-12 football again. Let's do it. So what's going on? Woo! Uh, I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm, my kids, I, we're Pac-12 family. I, I uh, you know, went to Cal, Cal, lifelong. My dad was a Cal season ticket holder. He went to Cal. My kids go to Oregon or went to Oregon, I guess I got to say now. My daughter is an alumna now. Uh, Congratulations. So you got the Ducks and the Bears, Pac-12. And they are the only college football conference that does not currently have a long-term contract. They're in discussion. Their contract runs through the end of... Uh, or through next summer. Um, so about a year left on it, but they've been negotiating for a year and there's this real question of like, are they going to be able to match some of the other conferences in terms of the money? Um, and the pe- the presidents keep saying that they're very confident that they're going to be able to beat 
the Big 12 in terms of the money that they're going to be able to pay. And then there's some question about that. And this is all going on. They got a new commissioner. He was brought in to negotiate the media rights. That's why he's here. And so what's going to happen? And nothing has happened yet. They might expand. The reason this is relevant to the upgrade audience, and I'm not just bringing in your, you know, let me talk about how the Cal Bears are going to do this year. Go Cal. Disappointing as always. Oh. uh, (laughs) Is the answer, or how the Oregon Ducks are going to do way more successful and my kids are spoiled. Anyway, this is the only American football contract that's out there. It it literally is the only the NFL has signed all its deals several years out with all of its partners. All the other college uh conferences have signed all their deals. This is it. So while it is the Pac-12, it is a smaller of the major conferences. It's not one of the two big ones, it's one of the three smaller ones. They are still uh, a, a good source of uh, viewers and a good source of content during college football season. And again, I'll just remind our non-American viewers, American football is by far the most successful sport in America. <laughs> it is by far, by far, far. Like the highest rated television series for the last 15 years have been NFL games, literally. So it's, it's always number one. The national pastime then. Like the na- national pastime is baseball, right? But that's well, not the most I mean, successful there, sport. People would people would argue that that football is now the national pastime, I guess. But whatever, it, it is certainly the biggest entertainment property and sports entertainment property in America. And mm. so the fact that the Pac-12 is still sitting out there is interesting because if there were if you were a streamer who was trying to dip your toe in the water of more live sports events. Uh, and you wanted to try it with American football. Now, Amazon's got an NFL deal, but that's about it. Uh, there's a little, like, NBC as part of their deal with the NFL has a Peacock thing where they're going to show some epi- or some games on Peacock. But according to a, uh, a guy who covers this for a living, uh, John Wilner from the San Jose Mercury News, as well as information from John Canzano, who has a Substack that I subscribe to, who's very good, um, Apple... Uh, Wilner says is the favorite for the bulk of the Pac-12 college football inventory beginning in the fall of next year. Um, Wilner's projection is that ESPN will probably take sort of like scoop up the cream of the crop, especially for Saturday nights and maybe other weeknights, you know, like a Thursday night game. Um, those will be like marquee matchups on ESPN, but that's only about 22 regular season games, he estimates. Um, there are 50-something other conference games that currently air on Fox or on the Pac-12 network, which is the conference's own TV network. The idea here from Wilner is that Apple will probably just buy those. And they may even pick up the Pac-12 network, and which produces these games, and use it as part of its production sports production facility that would be owned by apple um, but that's a little un- unclear did you say it was fox is that wholly owned by fox no the 50 something games currently some of them are on the on fox a handful and then the rest of them are on the pac-12 network which pac-12 owns which pac-12 owns and pac-12 owns okay. the production company so in the way that major league baseball is producing friday night baseball for apple okay but that I believe Apple and MLS are producing or MLS is producing for Apple. I'm not sure exactly how that works. The MLS games, uh, Pac-12 produces its own content and that's probably part of the deal. Anyway, okay. Wilner thinks that Apple is going to be, is going to take those other games that ESPN doesn't take. 
Um, and that it's possible that there will be another small package. And he says maybe that maybe Fox will buy some games. The advantage the Pac-12 has is on the West Coast, which means that it can put games later on on Saturday night where the East Coast can't play anymore. Uh, and so it just extends the day and and uh, there's limited inventory of, of West Coast football games. So maybe Fox or NBC or Pe- Peacock on NBC or Amazon but he thinks Apple's the favorite. I've heard other reports that Apple and Amazon were both talking to Pac-12 about this. So it's just, as an Apple story, this is the idea that this may be Apple's best chance in the next few years to experiment with American football, yep. uh, which is our most popular sport. And I think it can't hurt that these are all institutions, the Pac-12. They're Western institutions. It's all along the West Coast and the Western U.S., which culturally is actually not a bad fit for Apple, The idea that you've got universities, you know, one of them just down the road in Palo Alto, also in Berkeley and then Seattle, uh, you know, and and Salt Lake City and Eugene and and Tucson and like, uh, and and I'm not going to list all the Pac-12 cities. There are a lot. Uh, And then they may expand to San Diego and even Dallas. It's possible. So. Um, just something to watch that will probably happen this month in July. These and and so we may get another um, Apple sports announcement. Essentially, this would start next fall, not this coming fall, but fall of 2024. If Wilner is right, and Wilner and Canzano has suggested that there's a Pac-12 media day happening in a, in a few weeks, okay. where they get all the coaches and players and stuff, and they do their big promotion for the year. And they said the last thing they want is for the TV rights to be undecided by the time they get there. And I think I may have mentioned this here earlier, but um, they, the reason this has taken way longer than uh, most of these conference TV negotiations have taken is apparently because they're talking to non-traditional partners, namely Apple and Amazon. And those companies don't know how sports rights negotiations work. And and even now, even though they've got some sports rights, the impression is like when you're talking to Fox and ESPN, they've been doing this for ages. They know how it is. You talk to Apple and they're like not even quite talking the same language, which we no, heard about not. the NFL Sunday ticket negotiations, right? That there was this real head scratcher of a conversation going on there. And then I guess Google figured it out or just wrote a big check. So, well, we'll see. But this would be another uh, thing in the pile of all the different live sports that Apple is trying if Apple ends up picking up. Um, you know, 40 or 50 college football games. So the thing that I could imagine of like that same language thing is just like cultural norms of like Apple, like, well, we're going to take this and show it all over the world. And they're like, no, you're not. And they're like, yeah, we are. You know what? So yeah. what I'm wondering from this is they may be the favorite, but can they actually get the deal? There's not much of a college football market. No, but can they get the deal they want? There isn't a large MLS market either, but they still do that. The advantage that they have here is that is that this is small enough and it doesn't really have much of an international deal that they can basically yeah I think that's I think they would just take it and and do it even though outside of the U.S. there isn't much of a market for this but they you know they 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 could offer it and see what happens right like yeah um it's an interesting idea so I I'm I I don't know how to read this because like I said I am a lifelong fan of a team in this conference <laughs> so yeah. but I'm just saying from a larger issue it's very interesting that Apple is at least reportedly the favorite to close this deal because it would throw um, some college football on the pile along with MLS and MLB. Uh, Apple have posted the first episode of their new, I'm going to say hit show, Silo, on Twitter. Ah. Mm. I will call it a hit just because 
I've been seeing people talk about this show yeah, me too. who are not in my tech circles. I've yet to see it, but I'm, I've got it on my queue. I, I want to watch it because people are saying it's really good. And so they just took the first episode and just posted it on Twitter so people can just watch it for free. Like, John Gruber had a good article about this in the show notes, but like, it's interesting because you can do this already in the TV app. Like, you could just go to the TV app and you can watch the first episode of like all of their yeah. shows, like for free. But this is just interesting because they've done it on Twitter at what is, I think, a pretty contentious time to do anything new mm. with Twitter, right? Um, and it's only like over the last week just gotten even weirder with the with the rate limiting and stuff like that now like as somebody who doesn't use twitter now i can't read any tweets because i'm not logged in anywhere <laughs> it's just right. like all right fine. someone sends me a link to a tweet and i'm like i can't do anything with this because like i can't yep. be bothered to log in again and it's interesting because like there, i think there are two pretty decent arguments on this of like one it's weird to extend any kind of new relationship with twitter right now from a political reason like from a political standpoint in all of the ways that you could take the word political, but people are still there. So yep. that's that's the thing, right? Like people, yep. we might not be, a lot of our audience may have moved on to new places, but like most people who were on Twitter in the first place are still there. So would you do, so like it is a, I honestly, I feel like I have good opinions usually on each, like I feel like, sorry, I have strong opinions that I can make on things, right? Like I could feel definite about stuff. I don't know what the right decision is to make on this one, if you're Apple, to be honest. It's marketing, and there are a lot of people still using it, and they've got an existing marketing relationship, so they're doing it. I'm a little surprised. So, like, they, uh, CBS, Viacom put up, or I guess Paramount Plus, technically, put up on the entire first season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds before ahead of the season two premiere for a limited time, but they basically like posted the whole thing and said, you can just watch, you can binge this and then sign up for Paramount Plus for season two. Yeah. Um, I'm a little surprised that this was a Twitter decision here, but again, they do have an existing Twitter relationship. They must find some value in it. I don't know. It's a marketing decision. The truth is marketing decisions are not made through any lens, but does this get us to our marketing goals? And I think the idea here is they're trying to get people to see Silo and be into it and then want to pick up Apple TV Plus, and this is a place that they can do that. And I think that in the end, a lot of the arguments about do you want to be supporting this product and this company ends up being, well, there's a lot of people there, mm -hmm. and, and those people don't seem to care. Maybe they're not paying attention. Maybe they're awful people. Chances are they're not awful people. They're just, that's they what just the conversation don't care. is. Like, not everybody cares about the things everybody else cares about. That's just exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so um, I, I will admit that I rolled my eyes at a lot of the so-called controversy about this because most of the posts I saw about this were, how dare Apple, you know, with Twitter. I'm like, whatever. It's marketing. They're going to do it because there's a reach there. If there weren't people on Twitter, they wouldn't do it. They're not trying to prop up Twitter. They're trying to get people to watch their TV show. And a lot of people have not quit tw Twitter in a huff like so many people in our community have. That's just the truth of it. And the moment that it's not worth it for Apple to promote things on Twitter, they'll stop. Believe me. It is strange, though, because like, there are other places to put it. Right. Yeah. And Twitter is rapidly becoming a worse place to be. Like you mentioned, like in the last week, we've gotten this thing where Twitter is, are they paying their bills to Google Cloud? Are they pay paying their bills to anywhere else? Who knows? But suddenly they like closed off the whole site unless you can log in and they rate limited everybody. And uh, like it is rapidly decaying to the point where I almost wonder if Apple would make that same decision today that they made last week. Right. But 
uh, it is that. Yeah, and and YouTube. Yeah, I don't know why not YouTube and why Twitter and I don't know. It's it's weird. It's a weird thing, but it's marketing. Their ways are mysterious. Maybe they had also it's possible that they had a deal with Twitter where they got the ability to do this and it was part of their deal. So they're like, well, we might as well use like use the coupon for this. It's entirely we don't always know what the nature of these things. It may not be we can spend money to put a show somewhere. Will we put it on Twitter or YouTube? They cost about the same. I mean, maybe they don't cost the same or maybe literally you have a coupon for a free thing as part of your relationship with Twitter. And you're like, well, let's just see it. Let's try it. See, see how it goes. I don't know. I am surprised. Like I just went to look at the Apple TV YouTube channel. They they didn't do it also on Apple TV. Like on the YouTube channel. Sorry, which on I just feel channel, like. Yeah. I mean, you're just free to upload it. You know, <laughs> why didn't right? you just do that too? Know. But I don't they know. didn't. But like this, this, this just feels to me of like someone in marketing was just like, oh, yeah, let's try this, right? Because that's. Exactly. realistically all they're doing it's also not the 10th time they've done it like it's probably like the, maybe even the first time they've done it like they're yeah, trying it, is, it. marketing it marketing is all about let's give it a shot and see what happens mm-hmm. and get the results back and again i tell you if the results back are bad they won't do it again yeah right and it doesn't matter and it won't matter about the politics of it unless unless it totally blew up in their faces like how dare you which i don't think it actually will i don't think that there's anything to that uh what will happen is that if people have abandoned Twitter because it sucks or or they've been rate limited or all, whatever the reasons are and their marketing doesn't work there, they'll stop. That's it. Very bottom line oriented, most marketing people. The Ted Lasso finale hit a series high in viewership for the show, delivering a billion total mu- minutes of viewing across the entire show itself, according to Nielsen during the kind of uh, finale premiere time. The, the episode, the very final episode, hit 529 million minutes watched in a week with the rest of those min- billion minutes spread across the show itself. So it like lots of people watched it and it also drew people to watch the entire show. So it was a big high for Ted Lasso for its mm-hmm. minutes watched. Um, I just wanted to say, I, I feel like I saw so many articles bemoaning the final season of the show. Like I feel like people were like taking pleasure in sharing them around. It almost felt like at one point. And to me, it all fell off the mark. Like, I really enjoyed the final season of Ted Lasso. I loved the show overall. I loved the path it took. And I was very satisfied with the ending. My read on people not enjoying the final season, a lot of it was people wanted the show to be different than what the show was rather than like just enjoying it for what it was. Like, people were like, hey, this show's sad now. I wanted a happy show. It's like, but you can't choose. Like, it's not up to you, right? Just enjoy the show for what it is. And I think it told an incredibly good story that would not have been effective if it was just three seasons of of season one, in my opinion. I would also argue that that, uh, season one is also not as happy as people remember it. And the show was always uh, what it was. And it just wasn't what people... This is my... Very briefly, I'll give you my tangent about Battlestar Galactica, which is, I think, one of the reasons people hated Battlestar Galactica's ending so much is because they had decided what they had, what the show was and ignored the stuff that they didn't want to pay attention to that was in the show. And then it turns out they got to the ending and the stuff that they had ignored that a certain kind of science fiction TV series viewer had ignored because they didn't want to engage with that kind of the content was the point of the ending. And therefore, there was an enormous disconnect and people felt really betrayed by it. Whereas I had thought about that content all along as being super important to the show, given its origins and given the previous version and its origins. And so when they got to the end, I was like, yeah, of course, sure. 
but other people were like, I am so betrayed. And I think Ted Lasso is a little like that, where I think people, it's like pandemic. It was a it was a comfort view. They're like, oh, yes. And it's like, oh, yeah. Also, he had a horrible panic attack and is getting a divorce and is super sad in season one. But yes. like people didn't really remember that part. I, I thought season three was weaker than the first two seasons uh, because there were some plotting problems and there was a uh-huh. bunch of stuff that happened sort of in the middle of the season. Like a lot of streaming shows that was kind of a mess because they were kind of trying to get to their ending. The ending was great. I agree with you. I, I also think I noticed a couple at least a couple of places where there were uh, TV critics and TV writers who were doing the obligatory Ted Lasso uh, write-ups because it got traffic who never liked the show. Yes. And were really enjoying the fact that they were able to uh, rip on it, which I don't really understand why you get somebody who doesn't like the show to write about the show. Because like who, who the only people who are reading it are people who are watching it. And are are there that many hate watchers out there? Seems very weird and not a good way to live, but so be it. Anyway, if you didn't like it, that's fine. A lot of reasons not to. There was a lot of discourse about it. Fact is, lots of people watched it. Were they satisfied? I don't know, right? But they watched it. It was a huge hit. And I'm sure, again, that if they want to make more, Apple will back many trucks of money up to whoever's door is necessary to make more Ted Lasso after the writer's strike is over. I'm convinced they're going to. I still I still remain convinced. Yeah. Uh, I think me and yeah. you were talking about this when we went to baseball. They'll make a show called, yes. what was it, The Richmond Way or whatever? It, the Richmond Way or yeah. AFC Richmond, yeah. And that'll be with uh, with most of the cast, just not Jason Sudeikis, because the whole point of season three, spoilers for Ted Lasso, I guess, but like Jason Sudeikis, his kids live in America and he doesn't want to be making a show in England. Uh, and so um, the whole point of season three was saying it's not really about Ted Lasso. <laughs> It's about everybody else. And so, I, I still yeah. think that they could and probably will make another season of Ted Lasso and he's coaching some other sport or whatever. Like, I, we could spoke be. about this. Yes. I mean, come on, Apple. Just put, he's an MLS coach now. You've got yeah. it. You can make it happen, right? You mm-hmm. you don't even need to do the deals. It's just poof, in there. You, yeah. Ted yeah. Lasso, He's the literally MLS an MLS coach. Yes. A fictional character is going to be a coach in the real MLS now. It's yeah. true. It's going to happen. Just do it. Because they have that kind of power. Oh, I didn't mean that, but yeah, do that. Make, <laughs> make Jason Sudeikis <laughs> the yeah. coach of an MLS no, no. team. No, Ted Lasso. Jason Sudeikis as, as Ted, Ted Lasso, Lasso is the coach of, uh, of uh, an MLS team. Yeah. Sure. Why not? The Morning Show returns in September with a 10-episode season. It's shifting to a Wednesday release, like most of Apple's content has. The first two episodes drop on September 13th. John Hamm is in this one, which was like the perfect payoff to his whole commercial thing of like, Apple, please cast me. And they did. They put him in the morning show, which is, I think, whether the world agrees, Apple considers the morning show its like premiere thing, right? Like this is yeah. their like jewel, whether, you know... Uh, because it's star-studded, like star-studded, prestige. and yeah, it's got the prestige feel. Whether people feel like it's got the prestige quality or not, I really yeah. like the morning show um, a lot. Actually, I, I really liked the last season. Um, before this season even begins, it has been renewed for season four, which is a surprise to me. I just thought this would be the last one, uh, but they, it's going to keep going for another season after this one. Okay. I still haven't watched season two. I know you liked it. I really liked it. Uh, I really liked it. I didn't it. like how season one ended, but really it's just we have to Season two is better than season one. That that is for sure. We're watching the bear right now. So when that's over, we'll see what's next. Highly recommend the bear, by the way. And just all. Oh yeah, I haven't seen the bear yet, but I want to. I know oh, how good it is so just good. from everyone talking so about good. it. And I, right now we're watching Abba Elementary, which is oh, yeah. fantastic. It's good. Yeah, like it is the return of the thirty-minute sitcom, right? Like yeah. I can't believe 
that someone has made this show that like now and it works and it's great and it's just like a, a surprise to me that like is it Peacock? Where is Abbott Elementary? The Dis- we, oh, we have on Disney. Is it Hulu? It's it's yeah, it's Hulu because it's an ABC. Okay. Show. We have yeah. it on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, the reason I say is it Peacock because it just feels like the NBC 30-minute comedy. Like it is a surprise yeah. to me that something like that could exist again, but it's fantastically done. We are slowly going through that having finished Superstore, which was our last traditional. Oh, I love Superstore. Which is also great. That's a really um, good and one. And so we've got Abbott Elementary. The Bear, I will tell you this about The Bear. The Bear is very is not a sitcom. No. Bear, bear is very intense. Yeah. However, the beauty thing about The Bear is that they're also half-hour episodes for the most part. So if you're looking to like oh, okay. get something to fit into your life, because sometimes with an hour-long show, it's like, uh, do I have an hour right now? The bear, it's uh, it's mostly half hours. No, but, see, but, Abbott, but Abbott's super fitting in perfectly for like yeah. a show while we're eating dinner or whatever. Yeah, sometimes sometimes and I feel you like just the don't bear's want something not that intense. Do that. Like, uh, no, no, I feel like the bear. Do not, not eat do dinner while watching the bear. Yeah, I I, I feel like uh, any show where there's like food as part of the show where it's not a cooking competition, I'm never gonna watch it while I'm eating. Like I feel like no, I've done that before. Bad. The bear is sort of a cooking competition, but in the worst way. Okay, <laughs> I love uh, it. I love it. It is. It is. Uh, and in the middle of season two right now, uh-huh. it is legitimately one of the best shows on TV right now. Yeah. And I know that I know it to be the case just because of the way people talk about it. So like I'm gonna get to it at some point. Yeah, got a Silo on the list now too. Yeah, Apple has also renewed their sci-fi show Invasion for season two. Don't know anything about Invasion. Hey, remember that there Don't. was an there's like aliens that invade yeah. or something. I didn't watch it either. And they canceled their drama show uh, High Desert. They don't right, cancel a lot of things, Arquette. but they canceled this one. Yeah, and that's Ben Stiller, who is also doing Severance, uh, yeah. was the executive producer of that, but uh, they canceled that. Unlike all the other streamers, when Apple cancels something, they don't just yank it off the air. It'll live in the Apple catalog, because Apple's catalog's really small, and they want more stuff in it. I still find the yanking things off services to be weird. That is a very weird thing to me. It's real weird. We've talked about it on uh, on our podcast downstream, Julian Alexander and I host, yep. which the pilot episode of that was uh, was a summer of fun episode show. last yep. year. And uh, we do talk about it. It is weird. There are tax purposes for some of it, which is really gross. And then also the idea is if it's not making money for you here, maybe you can sell it to someone. The, the short version of this is there was a period there where everybody was getting trying to gear up to fight Netflix. And everybody decided, all the studios decided, we're going to own our own streaming service and put all of our content on it. Mm-hmm. We're going to take our ball and go home. We're going to bring it all inside. Friends, Netflix is really successful. But you know what? Warner Brothers owns it. We're going to take it in and put it on HBO Max. Um, that was the trend for a while. Then Netflix had a bad quarter. Everybody freaked out about how much money they yep. were spending on streaming. And what ended up happening is people were like, say, you know, that that show that's not doing like Insecure is an HBO show and it and, and it was on and people watched it. And now it's just sitting there on Max and nobody's watching it. Uh, Netflix, Netflix will give us money to put it on Netflix where it will find a bigger audience and make more money for us and for Netflix. And so they sold it to Netflix. Like that is starting to happen. And that's what's going on with some of these things getting pulled off streaming services is they're going to get sold somewhere else for more, for incremental money. Basically the idea of like, well, we, everybody who'd watched it on our service has watched it now. So we're going to go put it on Netflix or we'll put it on Tubi 
or something like that. Like we'll put it somewhere where it can uh, where it can generate more money for us than on our own service. And that's a very different model. I understand why people feel whiplashed by it because like just literally a year and a half ago, uh, we were in the land of like, everything's going to its own service and Disney's going to have a service and Paramount's got a service and Warner media has got a service and yep. that's what we're going to do. And th- um, then it all blew up. And now uh, that's not going to be the case. anymore. It just feels like as a customer, like the rug's been pulled out from under me. Like I was yes. sold on the idea that I would sign up to all of these services so I could have all of the television and movies all that the I shows, wanted yeah. and they would all be there. And it's like, fine, all right, I'll sign up for this one, I'll sign up for that one. And now it's like, oh, it's all going to move around again. Viacom, um, or Paramount Global, I guess, is what they are now. Um, they were The whole idea was we're going to invest in Star Trek because we are going to we own Star Trek, so we're going to be the home of Star Trek. And they literally pulled one of the an animated Star Trek show off, completely off Paramount Plus, and are going to sell it with 20 unaired episodes somewhere else. So you, you're a Star Trek fan, you get all your Star Trek on Paramount Plus, not so fast. It's, it's akin a little bit to a Marvel show suddenly going on Netflix, where yeah. it's like, they did that back in the past, right? And they pulled it all off and put it they on put Disney it Plus. Yeah. Um, imagine if they're like, you know, on second thought, maybe we should just put Daredevil back on Netflix. Like weird, just weird. But feel like that's Disney where we are. would maybe be the company most l- least likely to, to least likely do to do it. I agree. Thing, I, I, right? I think Disney's crown jewels are its franchise stuff. Yeah. That's why the Star Trek thing is so shocking. It's a kids show. I mean, it's not. It's actually a very good show. Star Trek Prodigy. It's it's a very good show, but it's for all ages. It's like like Doctor Who. It's a family show, right? It's appropriate for kids, but uh, I think parents would like it too. Um, Paramount Plus not really great with kids kids content. They've got some because everybody's got some, but like there's probably a better fit somewhere else like disney would disney buy a star trek show i don't know but it would probably be a good fit maybe netflix we'll see but it's just so weird this idea that you would take some of your crown jewels your intellectual property this is a franchise we own and say eh (laughs) i don't know it's weird weird times disney did remove shows but the idea of selling them it doesn't 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 sit with me Imagine if Disney like was like, yeah, Obi-Wan, we're just going to make it disappear. Like, what? Yeah. Or, or we're going to put it on, Obi-Wan's going to be on Max. No, <laughs> like you wouldn't do that. Yeah, no. Weird. If you enjoyed this segment, go check out Downstream on Relay FM. Uh, it's a wonderful show. It's one of my favorites. And Thank you. More of this stuff every two weeks. Every two weeks. If you would like to get more Upgrade, if you want more Upgrade, why wouldn't you want more Upgrade? Subscribe to Upgrade yeah, Plus. Go to getupgradeplus.com. You will hear more bonus content every single week. Today, Jason said that he wants to talk about celebrating a holiday. That's all mm-hmm. I've got in the notes. I'm very excited to find out what that means. You'll get no ads. No ads for this show at all. In fact, what you're hearing right now, which is me telling you about Upgrade Plus, if you sign up for Upgrade Plus, you don't have to hear about that anymore either. Because this thing that I'm doing right now where I'm talking about Upgrade Plus for like a minute... That will be cut, along with all of the other ads you've heard in this yeah. episode. They'll be yeah. gone. You won't have to hear it anymore. You won't have to hear this monkey. That seems worth it, right? <laughs> no one wants to hear that. That's a terrible thing. Uh, go to getupgradeplus.com. $5 a month, $50 a year. You get access to the Relay FM members Discord. You get a bunch of bonuses like wallpapers and all those kinds of fun things. We have tons of other bonus content that happens every single month, as well as those uh, member specials that we were talking about earlier on so tons of stuff available to you there go to getupgradeplus.com and you'll be supporting this show and the work that we do to which we will be very grateful thank you so much let's do some ask upgrade 
questions. All right, so first question comes from Randall, who asks, if you had to remove one category of Apple device, Mac, iPad, iPhone, or Apple Watch, from your life forever, which would you choose? Oh. Hmm. Forever. Forever. Apple Watch. I'm sorry. I like my Apple Watch, but it's the least. Like, I can't imagine living without Mac and iPad. And unlike most people, iPhone would come third in that list. But still, like, how do you not live your life without a phone? So, Apple Watch. Apple Watch. Like, it's on the edge for me at best of time, right? Like, like I, I don't have any other device where I'm like, I wished Apple made something else so I didn't have to use this, right? I don't feel that about the Mac. I don't feel about the iPad or the iPhone. Like I said, like, I want Apple to put all of this stuff in a thing that doesn't have a screen on it so then I can also wear a regular watch and I don't wear two watches and I don't want to wear two watches. So... I want the features they give. I don't want the device as much. Where like the Mac, iPad, iPhone, I don't want any of the other competing products. I don't want Apple to significantly change the product in any way. And it's also just like what will make the least impact on my life from both work and enjoyment. It's Apple Watch. Although I do love it, but not as much as I love the others, you know? Exactly. It's like choosing your least favorite child kind of thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Carrie asks, or Sari asks, what would you do? C-E-R-I. Sari. Sari. <laughs> I'm not going to say. <laughs> that could have set off phones all over the place. Do we know what Apple's eyesight feature on the Vision Pro, so this is where you see someone's eyes on the outside, will show for somebody that normally wears glasses? What do you think it might be if you don't know? Presumably, um, since the initial yeah. scan is done without the headset on, one could be wearing glasses? I think they have you take the glasses off yes. when you do your scan yep. and it will not show you glasses because that would be weird because you're wearing the headset Correct. sort of where your glasses would be. So it won't show them. And it would break the uh, illusion, right? It would. They're trying to create an yep. illusion. And so no, glasses off for the scan and you'll do the scan and then you'll have just eyes in there. The headset are your glasses. And you won't look weird because the headset is going to provide the frame that looks like your glasses. I mean, would you look weird if you took, you know, if you have prescription like ski goggles and you took the your glasses off and put on the goggles? Well, no, because you're still wearing something that's I framing I am going to say, Jason, you will look weird. You're just not going to look weird in that way. You're going to uh, look weird. It won't be the glasses. It won't yeah. be the glasses. The glasses yeah. won't make you look weird. The headset will make you look weird. Exactly. Weird. Differently weird, mm-hmm. but weird. Okay, that's fair. Tom asks, how do you think environments will work in Vision OS? Will there be an environments app store where developers could create and share their own? This is the fully immersed things, the mountains and all that kind of stuff. Or will this be restricted to Apple adding through OS updates or even special environments such as things like the AFC Richmond locker room or Lumen Industries office? Yeah. I mean, my guess is that this is going to be Apple provided and there'll will be a collection of them and that maybe one day third parties will be able to contribute, but not out of the gate. And the idea is that Apple will have these nicely curated kind of environments. Keep in mind, environments are like the desktop picture of Vision Pro, right? Like you're going to be by default, you're going to be in augmented reality. But if you want to run multiple apps in a an environment, you 
turn the dial on the on the digital crown and you can enter an environment that you can choose from what Apple is providing. But they're they're not there, they're not the primary. And I think you'll still be able to use like your apps. The idea here is you kind of close off from the world, but you can still have all your windows floating around and all of that. And then separately, um, apps can take over the entire interface and do whatever they want. But that's not that's in their own app space, not in the space that's shared with lots of different apps. So yeah. I think that's going to be how it works for now, at least. I'm sure I heard somebody say this. I thought I might have seen it in an interview with some with someone at Apple, but maybe I didn't. Maybe it was just somebody was conjecture making conjecture. But I agree with it. Basically, these will be like watch faces. Apple will make them. No one else can make them, and they'll update them when they want to. Probably. At least in the short term. Yes. Yep. The environments thing feels very technically complicated. Like mm. my understanding is it is like a mixture between real imagery and 3D generated stuff, which I could <laughs> see was the case because like in the image that I was in, it's in like Mount Hood, there was like this rock kind of not too far in the distance. And I could see that that was CGI. Like I could just see it looked like a texture to me. Yeah. Look video game. Some of, some of it looked real. Some of it looked CGI. Yeah. I asked if it was real or CGI or both. They did not have an answer for me. And also, I think they have the ability to do not only like dynamic sounds and stuff in the environment. So you got birds there chirping was and stuff like that. It but was raining also, yeah. in mine and it definitely wasn't real rain. Like, I, as again, I could see like, right. this looks like rain, but it looks like video game rain. Right. So you could have probably over time, it's rain, it's sunny, the clouds move in the sky, the, the reflections change on the on the lake. Yeah. That kind of thing is part of it. So it's, it it's has a to be like, whole experience. It right? has to be like uh, uh, 3D generated graphics. Like it just has yeah. to be. Like there, there kind yeah. of isn't a way to do this, I think, in a way. Because, you know, like the panorama didn't look as good as the environment, right? When we did our demo. Like there was like a panoramic right. image that we looked at and just didn't look as good. I was thinking, you know, Mount Hood itself could be uh, basically photographic all the way in the background, uh -huh. but like all the stuff that's in the in the that's being impacted yeah. by the effects. And you're right; I think that this is the idea: is you don't want look. If it was a des desktop picture, or even like one of those dynamic desktop pictures that updates every ten minutes or something, it's not going to feel like a real space. You're going to be inside a photograph, right? That's not what they want, and so they want to add a very subtle amount of dynamism to it, right? So it's subtle, right? Because it doesn't want it to. You don't want to be distracted, but it wants it to be kind of soothingly an environment that has some background noise and and change changes a little bit and like, but super subtle. And that's a lot of engineering work going on there. So to talk about a little bit more what you were about, like you can still create an immersive environment as a developer that lets the space model, right? So you can have a full space, but you can only have your app, but you can have multiple windows within it. But if you want to create a fully immersive experience, you're able to do this. Like if, you know, you were a developer and wanted to create your own mounting environment, you can, but users can only be using windows of your application inside of that immersive space. So it's like in the dem in the, the like the sizzle reel that Disney made, where you were watching Disney Plus sitting inside of some, uh, I think it was a Tie Fighter, no, a, a X Wing, or whatever, or like a Land Cruiser, Speed Cruiser. I'm just destroying right. this. Everybody loves Star Trek. Land Speeder. Um. Yep. Uh, Toyota Land Cruiser. Watching Disney yep, Plus. That's right. Uh, sure. That would have been a full space if they make something like that. So you can watch Disney Plus inside right. of an environment that they create, right. but you can't then also check your tweets. Right. James, 
writes in and says, as a software developer who listens to tech podcasts, I wonder how you would rate your software development skills and if you've had instances where you've increased your software skills and found it has helped your journalism to know more about how the sausage is made. Are there other non-journalistic skills, like maybe coaching a children's sports team, that have helped you in covering technology in large companies? You know, um, what I always say about my software skills is I know just enough to be dangerous. Yep. Uh, I wrote a lot of Apple scripts. I write a lot of Python now. It has helped me in like I and, and I did. I learned how to do PHP because I built the templates for Six Colors when we moved to WordPress and. I have to update that stuff when I'm doing them, all the membership stuff on Six Colors and the Incomparable. That involved, I had web designers work on the pages, but I had to do a lot of the implementation. I had some help, but I had to do a lot of it and understand it, and I have to maintain it. Writing the Python scripts, similarly, writing automations is fun and actually informs my writing because I like to write about user automation and encourage people to try it. Beyond that, I mean, I ha- I, I wrote a, a one thing that I distributed to a bunch of people I know that's like an automator slash apple script thing that's kind of like an app that you have to install and it has a readme file and certainly that was interesting in in taking the mental shift from a tool that's only for me to a tool that's meant for other people which is a big leap as i'm sure software developers know but the truth is i talk to a lot of software developers and i get their read on things and i get what they care about and that's how i cover that and um if i was a software developer the danger would be that I would care only about the stuff that mattered to me for my app <laughs> and maybe not the bigger picture. Um, but the good news is I'm not a software developer and nor am I going to be. So the answer is I, le- I try to listen and talk to people who uh, understand this stuff and gauge their reaction. And that's sort of how I do it. I'm, I've always viewed myself as writing from the perspective of the user of the software so I'm less concerned. I'm more concerned about what happens with developers in terms of how it will impact the user in terms of what software gets delivered. And that can mean developers are having a really hard time with this. Uh, but the point there is sort of like, so don't get your hopes up, essentially. Uh, I'm trying to view it from the the user's perspective because I am one. And also that's who my audience is, at least as I view it, is there people who care about Apple hardware and software and software that runs on Apple's platforms and what that means. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to find that by, um, understanding how, to a certain extent, how the software development process works and what the developers care about. But, um, I, I don't think if I was one, I would have a very different view and um, it's not the view that I have or that I've kind of cultivated. So I tried learning Swift a couple of years ago and just failed. Like it's just not a thing for me that I either have the skills for or that I care enough about to develop those skills realistically. Like I had an idea for an app. I wanted to see how hard it would be to make it um, and also just like learn something new and also potentially give myself another kind of like feather in my cap to be able to talk about on shows and understand things a little bit more realistically i came to like a bunch of different conclusions of which i will detail for you now uh i have always been a very passionate user of technology right like yeah. that's kind of the whole reason that i cared enough to start a podcast about technology in the first place and for me realistically i feel like just talking somewhat intelligently about the user-facing features how i feel about them and listening to and consuming content in that way is more helpful for my job than learning how to program. Um, 
And when it comes to kind of like my other skills that I think make me or I've been able to make me good at what I do, working in a very large company for many years helped my perspective about how large companies are run. Where sure. I feel Same. like some people are way too like they think of Apple as like way too good when realistically it is a very large company run by lots of people, which is why we see things that you might not agree with, like, oh, why did they put that TV show on Twitter? Like what we were talking about earlier. It's like, well, because the marketing team decided to try it, right? Like when me and you have either worked in or with marketing people who make that decision because ultimately that's their job and they don't care about culture wars, right? Right. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's yeah, that's it. I also think one of the things that helps me is I'm I'm I consider myself to be pretty good at business. Like it's just a mm. thing that I'm interested in and do. And I think that helps me talk about very large companies doing business. I also want to like, I feel like I came to a conclusion at WWDC about who I am that I wanted to share because James references journalism. I am not and do not consider myself to be a journalist. Like, I don't think I ever really have, but I came to that decision. Like it dawned on me while sitting in the keynote, like environment area while I was sitting around media and could see journalists all over the place and around me and the way that they were reacting to or not the keynote. And it's just like, I'm not a journalist. I have settled on, I'm a technology entertainer. That is what I do. Like I make entertainment. I don't try and I don't believe that what we, for me, I don't believe that what I am bringing to this show is a journalism <laughs> sensibility. I don't think I'm bringing it to this show or any other show that I do. I believe these podcasts are entertainment first. Like, that's what they are. It, from my perspective, that's what I set out to do. And so I consider myself just an entertainer with a focus on technology. Like, that's who I am. So I care and I get excited and mm-hmm. I don't try and like be like, Hmm, these are my serious opinions on this technology. So that's where I mean, I think that I think that for podcasts, that's true of all of us to a degree. Um, the original concept of upgrade, and I think it still holds, is that this is also a place where you help me get out the stuff that I've been thinking about and doing as a journalist who covers this mm-hmm. space. So you're the in in that the the primary role you have it's not the only role by any means is also to be sort of a facilitator of of um the conversation and bring out what i'm thinking about a lot of stuff and honestly that is what i that is the role that i have in downstream yes. is julia is brilliant and there was a, we we've been talking about cnn her ages she wrote a piece in puck uh, Puck News about uh, CNN's business model quandary that people aren't talking about because they're talking about like these high level kind of like rumors and things. And she's like, the problem is the business model. And then there was a report in Bloomberg that basically said, oh yeah, that Julia's story went around or maybe maybe it wasn't Puck, but it was Julia's story went around in the C-suite at CNN. Mm-hmm. And I just had that moment of like, woo. And she said to me on the last episode that like, yeah, she's had multiple high level executives say i love downstream <laughs> like wow but like again my job there is to be a passionate consumer and user yep. of the tech yep. i am the observer of some things especially like the sports stuff cuz it interests me but like she's the expert i'm i'm trying to be a facilitator to get her expertise out and and that is sort of the role 
again, it's complicated, but that is like a key role that you play. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and I, it's, in the show, I think it's changed a bit over time where like I, I do, as my confidence grew, I now yes, consider- Yes, you, you contribute like, We have a conversation now rather than we I do. used to just ask you questions. So Jason, how about this? How do yeah. you feel about this? But it's, it, you, and you absolutely do, but you're right. You're coming, look, being, look, I am a passionate user of Apple products, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not- writing this from a pc i'm like uh, apple but i gotta write about it like these people part say. of part of what i try to do is to understand it right like i try to understand it i am writing for an audience that includes me yeah um uh but mostly because i don't want that job of of and i've been very fortunate to not have to do the job of covering something i don't care about because that's what the job is which believe me when you go into journalism that's always the most likely scenario and I, that's not been a path that i followed but um but you're right it is um aspects of what we do are 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 more or less journalism versus entertainment and you're right there are those moments i think at those events where you can sort of see the people who are sort of viewing it because i still view everything through that journalistic lens right mm-hmm. I, I still do that and I would say There's even no way you um, wouldn't because you did it for so long, right? But yeah, I, I feel yeah. like you still get excited. And I still do it. <laughs> like I don't feel sure. like you're jaded <laughs> in any yeah. way. Yeah, but know? I don't clap. But I don't clap. I clap and Except I whoop I clap. And I, I only clap at things that are laughably a, a thing that I've like when they did stage manager. I clapped yes. because I've been complaining. It's, it, it's more like a almost like an ironic clap of like, oh yes, my feature, yay! Yeah. Uh, but I I don't do that, and that's uh, that's like everybody makes their own choices but yeah uh, no i think this has been good thank you to to the mysterious james for his question uh-huh. i do will say like one last thing on that it's like i don't know if it was always this way but like i really appreciated apple's designation as media rather than press like i feel like everyone is always always calls it press i hear about press 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 but they call it media i don't know if it's always been that way and people are just used to calling it press but media makes more sense to me than than press does because i don't consider myself as part of the press because there's no newspaper around here. <laughs> there's no printing press in this podcast studio. If you would like to send us your feedback, follow-up, and questions for our various segments, go to UpgradeFeedback.com. Thank you so much to everybody that does every single week. I really appreciate it. You can check out Jason's journalistic endeavors at SixColors.com. You can hear... <laughs> His podcasts at theincomparable.com and here on Relay FM that includes the podcast we've mentioned multiple times because you should listen to it that is called Downstream here on Relay FM. You can listen to my shows here on Relay FM too. You can check out my other work over at cortexbrand.com. We're on Mastodon. Jason is at jsnell on zeppelin.flights. Maybe you're new to Mastodon. You can go follow Jason. You can find me as at imike, I-M-Y-K-E on mike.social. You can find the show as at upgrade on relayfm.social where you will see video clips posted, but you should go and watch them on the video clip platforms, TikTok and Instagram. Where we are at Upgrade Relay on both. Um, or you know, final master, as I said. Thank you to our members who support us of Upgrade Plus. Go to getupgradeplus.com to learn more. And thank you to our sponsors, Uni and Squarespace, for their support of this episode. But most of all, thank you for listening. Until next time, say goodbye, Jason Snow. Goodbye, Mike Hurley. <laughs>